Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. So let's get started. Today, we're going to be studying a passage of Scripture that is the cause of some confusion on a Catholic forum right now. A listener wrote to us about it, and we decided it would be a perfect 20-minute Bible study. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Today's lesson was inspired by a question from our discussion forum, which, by the way, can be found at motk.org slash discuss. So here's the question that was posted, and it said, I was curious about Catholics praying to Mary. Does anyone know what scripture or scriptures in the Bible that might support the idea that God allows Mary and other saints to hear any prayers directed to their intercession? Yeah, the question included a link to a Catholic forum that we talked about earlier, where several people defended the idea that Mary and the saints can hear our prayers. I combed through their posts looking for scriptural support. The only real reference I found again and again was Hebrews 12.1, the first verse from our scripture reading today. All right, Jordan, so let's see if by using the space method we can reveal the true meaning of that verse. And again, space is an acronym. SP represents the word speaker, A, audience, C, context, an E explanation, and we created this acronym to remind Bible students to think about who is the speaker and to whom, what was happening at the time, and also the theme and the message of the verses leading up to to the Scripture reading. And we believe it's critical to consider these things before trying to attempt to interpret Scripture. So let's use it here, Jordan. Okay. SP Speaker. The speaker is an elder and respected church leader, but the specific author is not known. Many believe it was the Apostle Paul based on certain contextual clues, but there's also evidence that it was not Paul. Some say it could be Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Philip, Aquila, or even Priscilla. And of course, ultimately the author is the Holy Spirit. Okay, so also moving on, the audience we know are the Hebrew Christians, and like all of the other epistles, it was probably circulated among several early churches. The audience is Hebrew Christian, so both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are relevant, and that's very important to keep in mind. And 
But however, the audience is clearly immature, as we read, since they needed to be reminded that the Old Covenant no longer applied and the rituals and traditions of Judaism lacked any true spiritual power anymore. As for the context, it's a time of intensifying persecution of Christians. That means being a Christian at this time literally puts you at physical risk. For example, in Hebrews 11.37, it says, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. In time, it's a few years before AD 70, which is when Emperor Titus and Commander Tiberius sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the Second Temple. That means the Levitical priesthood and sacrificial system were still in place. So at this time, there was much temptation and pressure among Christians to backslide into Jewish practices and also to downplay the glory of Jesus Christ, perhaps downgrading him to an angel. Yeah, so Jordan, I mean, we can kind of parallel in context of the question from our writer, we can parallel the Hebrew church back, the Hebrew Christian church back then to Catholics today. And, um, you know, we can kind of look at maybe how a lot of people have difficulty accepting true grace today, Um, especially the Catholic church, for example, you know, just believing in a secure salvation by Jesus's finished work on a cross. And, you know, again, like I know we've talked about in prior episodes, but, you know, it's kind of opens up the whole can of worms of, of discussing the schism between, you know, Calvinists and Arminianists, Arminianism, and and what those differences are. And basically, in a nutshell, it's eternal security versus conditional security. Okay, and then in the Bible context, you wanted to uh, highlight a few verses from Hebrews 10. So let's sort of get the flavor of where the passage, of where our scripture reading appears based on the passages before it. You wanted to call out some of those verses. Yeah, I'd like to start with verse 12 in chapter 10, and and I'll read a few. Maybe you could read a few along, Jordan. Um, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Very important verse. Uh, Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Verse 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And if you could pick up a few more, Jordan. Yeah, before I do, I just wanted to say those verses are very supportive of what you just said before uh, in terms of, you know, trying to relate to what's happening at this time, but now also talking about a modern situation. You talked about the difficulty accepting Jesus' finished work on the cross, and those verses definitely support that that idea. Yeah, I mean, I think the the main point is you're going to read a few more. The main point in, in Hebrews chapter 10 is, again, to get the Hebrew Christians back then who had a difficult time coming out of the the old doctrine of salvation from the Old Testament, right. the Old Covenant, which required the Jews to back up their faith with works, right? Having to do, uh, you know, special works in the temple and make sacrifices and so on. And, you know, the writer of Hebrews references that throughout the book. And understand that now that we have Christ and that the ultimate sacrifice has come, the sacrificial lamb, which is typed by the Passover, to understand that, again, these verses in chapter 10 specifically point out to not only the church, the Hebrew church back then, but also to Christians today. And that's the goal. That's God's goal here, is to understand that it is no longer by works. It is 100% a finished work of Jesus Christ, and he gets all the glory for that. And because of that, we should rejoice and be filled with joy. And basically, these verses are just factual points 
they're they're a defense against people like the Hebrew Christians who had a hard time accepting that salvation is is a hundred percent by grace and no longer by works. Right. So if we look at verse uh, twenty six and twenty seven from Hebrews ten, it says, "For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment." and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. And then skipping down to 29 through 31, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And this is again referring to this um, sort of false doctrine and taking away from the glory of Jesus Christ. Right, exactly. And has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I want to add two more, Jordan, if you don't mind. Verse 35 in Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And verse 38, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And again, that's all from chapter 10. Our scripture readings come right after chapter 11, which is the Hall of Faith passage. And if you want to go on, Jordan. Yeah, I want to talk about the Hall of Faith. It's a famous passage, Hebrews 11. It talks about all, all the greats from um, you know, our, our history of faith. And you know, getting back to our, the, the core question that launched this episode, what I want to point out is that Mary, although I, you know, of course we believe she should be respected and she has a pivotal role in, in the Bible story, um, she's not mentioned uh, by name or by inference in that Hall of Faith listing. So even if we accept the idea that the cloud of witnesses from our reading today can hear prayers and make intercession, she's not included among them based on the context of the scripture reading. And that raises a question for me, which is, you know, if Mary is as important as many believe that she is, wouldn't she at least be mentioned in that that Hall of Faith? Yeah, I think that's a that's a very, very good point and good insight on your part. And I think that helps uh, answer some of the question of our writer as far as, you know, how critical it is for us to uh, consider this, you know, cloud of witnesses and and so on. But that is a good point. And, and if you go back and you do your own study and, and read Hebrews chapter 11, you will see that hall of faith that Jordan is, is referring to. And you'll see those are, you know, mainly Old Testament saints. Right. That, um, you know, it, and it's it is fair to say that those are, Important, those people are important to God because they represent what faith r- really is all about. And it's them willing to suffer, if you will, go through tribulations for, you know, in order to wave the flag of God, right? And, you know, the question is, you know, a lot of people might say, well, Mary suffered because she saw her, her son have to die on the cross. And mm-hmm. wouldn't that be considered suffering? But I think it's more about individual Old Testament saints having their faith tested. To the point even to death and that's that's something that we want to uh you know pass on as well to our listeners okay so now that we know the speaker audience and context of our scripture reading we're ready to attempt an explanation so let's hear it again but let's look at a different translation and this is going to be interesting because it shows how we have to be careful about which translation of the bible we use and also careful about reading into any english translation in general because of course the bible wasn't written in english Here's Hebrews 12.1 in a Catholic translation called the Dewey Rhymes or Douay Rhymes Bible, which is the translation quoted on that forum that we had mentioned earlier. 
Okay, so I'll pick up the reading here out of this specific Catholic, if you will, translation. And in verse 1, it reads, And therefore we also having so great a cloud of witnesses over our head, laying aside every weight and sin which surrounds us, let us run by patience to the fight proposed to us. And the key phrase in this translation, Jordan, is obviously, again, the words, quote, great cloud of witnesses over our head. And again, this imagery suggests saints, such as Mary, are watching from heaven, looking down on our deeds. But beyond that, by the way, the interpretation on the forum is all guesses and theories, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, when I read through it, that that's what it was. There was a lot of, you know, theorizing and nothing wrong with that. But when it came down to scriptural support, it was just this one verse and this one translation. And, uh, you know, there's no verse in Hebrews that suggests that these witnesses listen to prayers or go to God with our requests. It's just not in there in that passage, in that context. Right. In fact, this is the only mention of the cloud of witnesses. And uh, the verses before and after it are focused on the living, not the dead. And the author's advice to the living does not include pray to Mary and dead saints. Yeah, so I mean, um, you know, in my opinion, Jordan, I've always taken that specific verse as, you know, God trying to tell us, be encouraged because you've got, you know, men of great faith, you know, these historical men that that are are proud and they're looking down and they want you to be part of that group with them. So I always took it as, look, be encouraged. There's other great men in heaven that are watching you and, you know, lift yourself, um, you know, uh, keep yourself, you know, strong, strong in the word, strong in your faith. Don't give up. I never took it as me personally as, well, I, you know, I, I should go to this cloud of witnesses and ask them to intervene for me. And how do you feel about that? You know, no, I agree with the interpretation. Um, what I did want to do, though, is I, I want to really make a case study sort of out of translations here, because I think uh, I think we all read the Bible in our favorite translation. Maybe it's the NIV, maybe it's the NASB, maybe it's the King James original, like like our, our founder, Pastor Guy Whipple, loved the King James, even though half the time he was like, you know what, this is wrong. This is translated wrong. Sure. The correct translation to read this, but he loved his King James because, you know, he grew up with his King James. Sure. I, and I think it's fine to, to read the Bible and, you know, and to, and to read into it, if you will, sometimes and get inspiration from God or cause it to cause a, a thought process that's beneficial to you or to your congregation. But um, I often like to just get into the nuts and bolts and try to understand what the original text was saying okay. as, as a guide to correctly interpreting the scripture. So if we look more closely at, at the verses here, you know, one question that I asked immediately was, does it really say in the original text, a cloud of dead witnesses is over our head. So to find that out, I mean, I, I first looked, the Dewey Rhymes Bible is a translation of the Bible from the Latin Vulgate into English. Vulgate just means common, common, common Latin as opposed to classical Latin. Right. And, you know, Vulgate was the Latin the people spoke on the street. Classical was the Latin of universities and scholars. And of course, the New Testament is actually written in Greek Vulgate, the equivalent of Vulgate, or as my dad used to say, fish market Greek. So it was, you know, a common version of Greek spoken in the fish market, not Latin. This translation took common Greek that had been translated into common Latin and then translated it again into common English. Wow. Meaning we're twice removed from the original text when we're reading it. So that that's so important because you've lost you've lost some meaning here, right? Okay. So I mean, let let's get back to the original Greek, okay? So, you know, thanks to Bible tools such as the interlinear translations and you can get those on the internet or any, you know, Bible bookstore. We can examine and understand the original words, and 
There are three key ones in this verse, and those words are nephas, martus, and parikamai. Nephas can be translated cloud, but it is better translated crowd as in a throng or a dense multitude. Right. And Jordan, define for us the other words. Yeah, so martus is like our word martyr. You can hear it in the in the word, right? Our word martyr comes from martus, and it can be translated witness, but it can also be translated those who have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death, and that's according to Strong's. So in other words, they're martyrs. Martus means martyrs. Right, and it's kind of similar of like, you know, the feeling that I got, like I mentioned a little earlier, that, you know, this is just like, these guys are obviously spiritually alive in heaven. God is pointing that out, which gives us hope to show that even though they risked their lives on earth, God still recognizes them and honors them, and and they're watching, right? It's a special group that's watching. Um, kind of like, you know, in, in football, the Hall of Fame. You know, it's you could almost say they're immortal, if you will, if they're in the Hall of Fame, being that they'll always be respected and honored for the accomplishments that they, you know, brought to uh, the game of football and, you know, to the game of faith. These are critical guys, um, critical men and women that, you know, suffered for the sake of 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 the faith of, you know, God being God's people. Um, and then define for us the next word, the final word. Yeah, it's all starting to come together, right? So, so it's not a cloud; it's a crowd. Uh, it's not witnesses; it's martyrs. So it's a crowd of martyrs, and right. then and then the main the main word, the main adjective. Uh, parikamai means enclosing or surrounding, but not above. So hmm. they're not hovering over our head, you know, because all the imagery, which I think is leading to this misinterpretation from the Dewey Rhymes Bible is like this, you know, these like spirits are hovering over your head. Right. In reality, uh, you know, if you break down the words, putting it all together in context as well, the meaning of 12 is pretty clear. He's not saying, again, you're being watched from above by witnesses. He's saying you're surrounded in history and at this time by so many great examples of faith, right? even faith unto death or martyrdom, that you should be encouraged, like you said, to sacrifice your, you know, putting it in context, to sacrifice your fleshly desires and do the good works that you were called to do. Right. So, I mean, you know, in answer to that, the question is why, why should we, you know, be encouraged? And I definitely could say it's not about guilt per se, right? So there was a purpose and a promise for the Hebrews and for us. I mean, it's, it's hinted, at in the verse that introduces this section of scripture in Hebrews 11 verse 2 which quotes the men of old gained approval and then it's clarified in this section's conclusion so let's read that now Jordan yeah so sorry just to just to clarify so yeah the hall of faith chapter the chapter preceding this starts by saying the men of old gained approval and then it goes on to list those men so so that's very key and then yes once we get into 12 verse 7 it says it is for discipline that you endure God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Yeah, and I mean, legitimate children, we know, receive the inheritance or the kingdom. And illegitimate children do not and are are left outside looking in. And we studied in, in other verses, we would use the words here, according to scripture, outer darkness or skotos, which means the shade, kind of just on the outside looking in. Yeah, the darkness outside the light, right? Right. So th- these all tie together, and you know, we are alluding to some things that maybe the new listener hasn't heard of before, but I mean, needless to say, legitimate children get the inheritance, they live inside the kingdom, and illegitimate children would be outside of the kingdom looking in. Yeah, and then again, another key point to 
I think that we should reference and have all our listeners who, as as we know, we both do constantly are being tested and go through hard times and valleys and peaks and you know life is truly a roller coaster. Um, you know, it's to remember that you know God loves those whom He disciplines, according to Revelation chapter three. So in order to be a legitimate, to be considered, you know, a legitimate child, we have to be chastised. Right. I mean, if we weren't chastised and we thought, well, now that we're Christians, life is just the bowl of cherries and everything's going to be sweet and fine. And, you know, even through hard times, we're just going to buck up. And no, it's hard. It really is hard. I mean, even to the point, again, as we know from the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, even to the point of death. I mean, there's people that are martyrs even till today. I mean, in America, we don't see it as much. But just do a Google search on what Christians go through in the Middle East or or in China or, you know, in Africa just for their faith. It's hard, it's hard for them to even get a Bible study. How much more should we appreciate and take advantage of the fact that not only can we do our own Bible studies at home, but you could even, you know, tune into SiriusXM and listen to, you know, while you're driving in the car and on the air Bible study. Right, amen. And just to wrap it up, uh, Andy, going back to verse 2, which is part of our scripture reading, for more on this, it's Hebrews 12, 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is that saying, Andy, now that we've come full circle and we know the theme and the message of this passage? You know, this is a, a, a very, very important, very important verse when you do have a more understanding about the kingdom truths, right? Which is what you and I are trying to to bring out to to the listener and to understand that that is really the key to unlocking um, maturity into in Christianity from maturing from milk to the meat doctrines from the first coming of Christ which brought about his word and and our salvation because he died on the cross to his second coming which is you know the the majority of the New Testament Paul's writings which teach us to to uh, you know, anticipate the second coming when he will bring all Christians to the bema seat, which where he will judge us for our works. And going to this verse, like you brought out, this verse here, the key points to look at, Jordan, is that we need to fix our eyes right now on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the mature, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, and this is the key, the joy set before him endured the cross. In other words, the joy that was set before him was he anticipated his throne when he would come back to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And, you know, because of that, he was willing to go to the cross, hands down, no problem, you know, quiet as a lamb, going, you know, being sheared, getting ready for slaughter with a smile on his face. And he despised the shame that he suffered, you know, being torn of clothes, being mutilated, being put down. This is, you know, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And then he sat down because of this, because of the joy he was willing to endure. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, knowing that one day soon he will come back on the earth and have his throne here set up for uh, to be finally to fulfill what he died for, which was being the king of the Jews. Yeah, and it was a timely message for the Hebrews back then because, as we said, they were fra- facing intense persecution, and it's a timely message for us. You know, we, we don't have the same sort of problems. I mean, at least not here in America. Other places they are. They are dealing with physical danger. But even here, it's a timely message for us because we're tempted to forget the joy that's before us and 
and this whole passage is about remembering that joy and and um and enduring whatever we need to endure spiritual or physical trials and tribulations to keep in mind the glory of the kingdom and what the writer of hebrews is trying to say to us is be encouraged be willing to suffer go through whatever you have to go through do not give up and let that same joy that jesus had in his heart be our joy anticipate that if we're faithful and we're willing to endure the suffering as the hall of faith did then we will also be able to be with Jesus Christ and rule and reign with him during his millennial kingdom. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, May the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All rates reserved. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.